0: So we are going to be in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 this evening, going to be continuing uh, in our in our series, Set Apart for the Gospel of God, going through the book of Romans. On Sunday mornings, if you guys aren't aware, on Sunday mornings we're going through Roman, the book of Romans as well. Uh, Pastor Mark and I are attempting to get some, uh, you know, we're, we're attempting to be un- more unified with Sunday mornings in that regard, so they, they've been going through the book of Romans too. Uh, they just got finished, well, they're in the middle of Romans chapter 8 at the moment, and so what's really cool is that um, what they do in, on Sunday mornings is Rob will go through it um, and then we will trail along. And what's really cool is that Pastor Mark and I, we get to kind of uh, interact with Rob. I, I've been getting to interact with Rob, seeing where he's like, well, here, you know, here's the part I didn't go over. And we get to go over that. And so it's really cool. If you guys want to get uh, a broader uh, vision of the book of Romans in this, in this church, you guys can also attend on Sunday mornings. So that's something you guys can do. Um, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 2. And uh I have I have a few disclaimers for Romans chapter two. So I have a few disclaimers because as I was reading and as I was studying uh for tonight for you guys in order to teach you guys, um we're just bottom line, we're gonna be talking about judging tonight. We're gonna be talking about judging on on who is to judge who, how we're ought to be judging, and and here, and here's the disclaimer for you guys. Paul, in the nature of Romans, in the nature of Romans, is is very blunt. He's talking to a Roman culture. He's talking to a culture that's very powerful, a culture that's already very opinionated. And so in order for him to convey any sort of message, he does have to be a little blunt. That's just the, the nature of what needs to happen. And, and, and so as, in, in order for me to buffer that for you guys... I will be using more scripture than usual tonight. I will be, be using a lot more scripture than usual tonight in order in order that if if somehow this passage is like, oh, this rubs me the wrong way, you take it up with scripture and not with me. It's not my opinions. It's, it's, it's what the word of God says. And so in order to just be extra careful with tonight, you know, I have a lot of scripture and I have a PowerPoint for you so you guys will be able to see every single scripture and, and I want that to be the case tonight because it is sensitive. And I, I don't want you guys to already be in your hearts like, oh, no, <laughs> right? Um, I, I don't want because this really is a sweet and refresh, refreshing passage of scripture. It is. It talks about how we ought not to judge one another, right? So some of you are already, okay, deep breath. All right, so no one's going to be judging me tonight. Well, we're going to be talking about how to rightly judge ourselves. Okay, how to rightly judge ourselves um, in light of what Jesus says about us. So, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Who needs a Bible? Yeah, raise your hand nice and high. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, raise them nice and high. I'm also going to have it up here, like I said, for you guys. I'm going to have it up here. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to go through the first five verses right now, and then we're going to continue all the way to the end of the chapter tonight. So, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you, who, uh, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge one another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness of your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. All right. So this is God's word. We're going to launch off here. So let's pray together for his favor. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we desire for your Holy Spirit to uh, properly interpret for us tonight. God, that, uh, that it is it is the, the cry of all of our hearts as, as teachers of the word that it would not be us that speak, more so that you speak tonight. And so, Father, I, I pray that our hearts would properly receive your word, God. Um, I love what, what, what Pastor Mark said, is, Lord, that um, if, if anything I say offends tonight, may I repent and people forgive, Lord. But if anything your word says tonight offends, uh, may we be the ones who repent, Lord. And so, Father, I, I just pray for that tonight. Go, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. So Paul, guys, Paul in Romans chapter 1, as we studied two weeks ago, we took, we took a week long break. Um, but Paul just got done in Romans chapter 1, a few weeks ago, giving us a long laundry list of sins. A laundry list of sins committed by man. And it's just sins that are common to man. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about what is listed in Romans chapter 1. It is not necessarily listed in order to condemn us, but to reveal the very fact that we are all imperfect in some way, shape, or form. Right? So he gives just this really, really long list of sins, and and it's not meant to discourage us. Rather, to kind of clump everybody into one of two categories, right? So you guys may have heard it said that there's only two types of people in this world. There's only two types of people in this world. There's sinners and Jesus, right? There's only two types of people. There's sinners and there's Jesus. And if you ain't Jesus, you're in the other category, right? And that's kind of what Romans chapter 1 was supposed to articulate towards the end, which was, hey, we all got our shortcomings. We all, in some way, have fallen short of the glory of God, as it declares in Romans chapter 3. We all, in some sort of way... Have fallen short of God's glory, fallen short of His sovereignty. Now, it's not one of those things where, where God has just, all right, here's the rules, you follow them. If you don't, you suck. Right? It's more so. It's more so. God's love has led Him to set boundaries for us. We talked about this in our quad tonight, how, how it's, 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 it's you would never say that traffic laws are something that should just be taken away. Oh, so legalistic, those traffic laws. Why should I have to obey the 65 miles per hour? I should go, I should, everyone should be able to go 100. Everybody, right? Yeah, everyone's saying, amen, right? Do you know what? Stop signs, so legalistic, am I Right? Oh, you know that, that, that margin where, where children and kids can walk on the crosswalk? Pfft, what legalist who created that, right? We would never say that because it's meant for what? Our safety, right? And so God, knowing the predispositions of our hearts, has said, here's some boundaries for you so you don't self-destruct, right? And we continue to self-destruct, right? We continue to do so. Or maybe not you, but I do, right? I am my own worst enemy. And Paul knows... And Paul knows, as does every other pastor. Every pastor in here can tell you that people have a hard time having a healthy view of their sin. People have a very hard time having a healthy, good view of their sin. We tend to distort our own imperfections in several different ways. We tend to distort our own imperfections in several different ways. One way we tend to to uh, distort our imperfections and view our sin is that we choose to wear our sin as our identities, right? We choose to wear our sin as our identity saying, oh, I'm a screw up. I will never get better. I am a failure, right? We tend to wear our sins on our sleeves saying, this is who I am. I am this. I am that. I fall short here. I'm a failure here. I'm not smart. I'm not talented. I'll never measure up. I'm not... You know what I mean? We tend to wear our sin as our identities. Now, this is, this is just as much of a sin as any because it ignores the identity God has placed on you. This perspective of who you are that, oh, I'm a failure, I'm a screw-up, I'll never measure up, it distorts the identity that God has clearly placed on you. As an example, in Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult you over with loud singing. Doesn't that warm your heart? That God is looking at you and saying, he, he is singing over you, right? He is singing over you. He will, ex, he will sing about you, that the Lord loves you. In Ephesians chapter one, Verse four through seven, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Isn't that beautiful? That we are redeemed, that we are adopted. Guys, that we, he chose you before the foundations of the world. Guess what that means? God chose you before you did anything good or anything bad. God chose you before you made any accomplishments in life, and he chose you before you made any screw-ups in life. He chose you, meaning that if you screw up at all, and no matter what you accomplish, his view of you remains the same. If he chose you before the foundation of the world, it means that there's nothing that can remove that from you. He is unbiased, so to speak. He chose you. And so and so, one, and so one unhealthy way we look at our sin, guys, is that that's all I am. It's just one big pile of sin, right? One big pile of sin. The second way, the second way we, we tend to kind of distort our sin and look at it in wrong ways is that we choose not to see sin as something that we struggle with, rather something that other people struggle with, right? Right? So we don't struggle with it. It's everyone else that struggles with it, right? This political party doesn't struggle with it, but this one does, right? This denomination doesn't struggle with it, but this one does, right? So we, we don't look at ourselves and how we struggle, but rather we like to project that onto others, right? We like to look at others. As Chuck Smith said, he said this, Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, died just a few years ago he said this you know it is amazing how horrible our sins look when someone else is doing them let someone else commit my sins and i get just all kinds of indignation no no i could justify my sin i could tell you why i did it i can justify it but it is horrible when someone else does it it is terrible and he says be careful oh man he says, be careful, oh man, whoever you are who judges, you were only condemning yourself because you were testifying to the fact that you know better when you have done those things yourself. So our sins look super ugly on other people, right? They look super ugly on other people. And so it's easy for us in the context of judging, it's easier for us to kind of look at sins in other people and how they struggle with it and kind of pick them apart without looking inwardly at how we struggle with them. And just in case any of you are kind of new to this Christian vernacular of sin, some of you might've not grown up a Christian and sin is kind of just this ambiguous term to you. Let me define it for you. Sin is not just defined by, oh, you broke some rules. Sin is defined as anything that we have done, that we have done running away from God. So, so a pursuit of God leads to good living. A pursuit of God leads to being like God, being imitators of him as dear children. Now sin, sin is defined as the bad things we do, but also the good things we refuse to do. So sin is not just, oh, I did this bad thing. Sin is, I know what is right and still haven't done it. So, so that's what sin is. That's the term here. And so when we're looking in the context of judging others, we don't only judge people on what, we, what they do, huh? We also judge them based off, uh, but they didn't do this, right? And I think that's what Paul means when he says this. He says, therefore, you are inexcusable, oh man. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. We all have these perceptions, guys. All right? We all have these biases, don't we? We, we? We have biases that keep us from seeing the truth. Since we were born, guys, since we were born, right? So since you were just born, we have been inundated with stories and opinions and prejudices and political bends and preferences. We have been inundated with these things. Since we were born, we have been mashed with marketing and trying to uh, form our opinions on things. Our parents infusing opinions on us. Either we take upon the opinions of our parents, or we're like, no way am I having the same opinions of my parents, right? So so we all have these bends in the midst of forming all of our opinions. We tend to ignore all other sides seeking to confirm our own biases. And do you know how I know that we kind of all struggle with this? Because even now, when I am talking to you guys about biases, you are thinking of, other people that are biased and prejudiced, aren't you, right? When we think about our biases, our prejudices, it's crazy how immediately we're thinking about the other people that are biased and prejudiced, huh, right? That's immediately what goes, God, I'm a political science major. I understand this, okay? This is every day for me, okay? Where where it's 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 like everybody, everybody, it's always the other side, right? Always, you know? It's always the other side. And it's actually the same with the Jewish Christians and what they were doing with the Gentile Christians. So there's the Jews and there's the Gentiles. Jews, the, the chosen people of God, the Gentiles who were grafted in by the grace of God later. The Jewish Christians were condemning the Gentile Christians and holding them to a standard that they themselves were not willing to meet looking at these newer Christians or newer people of God and and essentially saying, well, well, you need to start doing these things. Why aren't you getting it? You need to understand. Why are you being this way? And they were holding these standards. So Paul says in verse 2, but we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. What I believe, guys, what I believe Paul is trying to say here at the end of verse 2 here, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. What I believe God and, and what Paul is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that God does not judge according to perceptions but truth. God does not judge according to what is perceived. But what is true? In our own observations of life, we can really only form opinions on on what we observe, right? On what we perceive to be reality. We, we, we can kind of, we, we can start to formulate our concept of truth by what we're observing around us, what we're taking in, what we're not taking in. But God, He does not judge according to what He sees outwardly, and He's not judging based upon actions necessarily, but He's looking at the heart. He doesn't judge according to what is perceived, but what is true. Jeremiah 17 verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So he's saying, I test the heart, I search the heart, and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways. Meaning when I look at the deeds of people. When I look at men and women who are doing things, I'm not just looking at our, their actions, but I'm searching their heart and I'm testing their mind. So God doesn't really, he doesn't focus on perceptions. He's like, what is true of their intentions? What is true of their hearts? What is true of their minds? And this then puts two different people under the same camp where you look at the people that look extra holy, right? Right? but are dead inside and judgmental inside. He sees that, right? So he's not necessarily judging them on, oh, well, they went to church, they're serving, they're doing all these things. He's judging, well, where's their heart? Are they doing this to look good? Are they doing this to impress people? Are they doing this to be better? Are they doing it out of insecurity? Likewise, he's looking at people that may outwardly seem like they're really stumbling, right? Right? just not getting it, you know, they're just, they're really having a hard time getting on track. Likewise, God's going to look, well, they, they are genuinely, in their most imperfect way, genuinely, though, pursuing me. Though they're stumbling and flopping around, they're, 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 their heart and their mind is in the right place. And so when God is is judging according to the ways and the deeds of men, And when he's weighing their fruit, he's looking at the mind and the hearts. When it comes to judging the actions of man, God looks deeper, right? God looks deeper. And it says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 3. So we're we're keeping and going down. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Let's stop there. I'm going to read that again, just verse three. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Paul calls them out further by asking them honestly a question. Do you think that somehow you're above all this? Do you think that somehow you you are above the messiness of life? Do you think that somehow by pointing out all the faults of others, that you are somehow escaping God, pointing out yours? Do you think that somehow by judging people, by somehow, and do you know what's every side? I know we have in our hearts, we're just thinking, oh, those judgmental people, those judgmental people, those judgmental people. But listen, the call and the charge is to everyone who judges, which is all of us, in some way. See, are, do you think you're above everybody? Do you think that you're going to be judged on a, on a different scale than everybody else? Who are you that when you practice such things, when, when you yourself have struggles and trials and temptations, do you think that you are above them somehow? Do you think that? And Paul is asking them honestly, do you think you're going to escape all this messiness? Do you think by judging others you're removing yourself from the equation, so to speak? You're outside of it somehow? Paul goes on to ask another question. He says in verse 4 Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You guys might have heard this verse before. Don't you know that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance? I will tell you something about myself, brothers and sisters. I'll tell you something about me. I am most judgmental when I have not been regularly contemplating God's goodness and patience towards me in my life. I am most judgmental against other people When I have not sat before God and considered all that He has forgiven of me, when I have not sat before a holy God and and, and seen that I fall short every day, yet somehow He still decides to love me. I am I am criticizing most people when I have been criticizing myself the least. I am, I am so aware of other people's sins because I, I, I think somehow it's my heart trying to identify its flaws. And since my pride has blocked me from seeing and being introspective and looking at my own heart, that somehow my mind has to project my sins on the other people in order for me to see it. It's it, it, things that we struggle with. We don't want to look at our own sexual sin, so we'll look on other people that are different. We don't want to look at our own financial sin. We don't, even, we, we don't want to look on the fact that we're not generous. We're not living at all generously. So we look at all oh, the crooky and dirty uh, business owners. All oh, the 1% taken from everybody. All the while not, not even noticing the own greediness within our own hearts. How, how, how we, we, we love to just, we want to project all of the sins of humanity onto others. All the while ignoring what is inside. And guess, this this is me. This is me. Maybe you're doing okay with it, but but... I am, I am so judgmental of my friends, my family, my coworkers, fellow co laborers in Christ in the community. When, when I have refused to hear what God is saying, when I have been blocking out my own sin in my life. And, and and some people are like, Well, I just want them to be conformed to the character of Christ, so shouldn't I mention their sin? Shouldn't I be judging them? That is that is the argument of most Christians, is it not? Well, well, God doesn't say don't judge, He says judge rightly, right? And this is this is the cry of many Christians that do still wish to continue judging people. Well, I want them to be more conformed to the character of Christ. I want them to understand. I, I, I we, we do as Christians need to judge, don't we? Yes, we do. We do. Great great you do you want people to know Christ you want people you want your brothers and sisters to grow so in order to grow we do need to be aware of our sins and we are called as brothers and sisters to point out flaws in each other all for the sake of growing closer to God but what I think Paul is saying here first is that before we ask others to conform to the character of Christ shouldn't we also be asking that of ourselves Shouldn't we ask, be asking of that of ourselves? Shouldn't we be taking on Christ's goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, as it says here? Goodness, which means kindness. So we we got to look at the way. Let's look at the way Christ judges, really quick. Okay, in verse four, look at verse four. Either up here or on your Bibles, verse four it says this: Do you despise the riches of the goodness, goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? So this is the way Christ judged with goodness, forbearance, and long suffering. Goodness meaning kindness and gentleness. Long forbearance meaning that he holds back his displeasure with us. Forbearance, do you guys understand that, that God is he holds back his wrath from the earth? You guys get that? One day it's all gonna unleash, right? But right now, his forbearance, his delay in punishing sin, we'll see that in Second Peter pretty soon. But that God practices forbearance and then long suffering, which directly translates into being slow to anger. So, yes, if we are to judge, if we are to judge rightly, it is under these criteria of goodness, meaning, meaning that those I am judging, I only wish good for them. That's hard, huh? Because most of the time, the people that we judge, we see ourselves in direct opposition to, and they're kind of the enemy, huh? Right? For me, it's people in the, like, it's people in the media. God, I hate the media, just being real with you, like, right? I judge them so often, all of them, like every, like, oh, liberal, conservative, no, all of them, right? I judge all of them, right? And, and, and so for me, in order to judge rightly, I have to, I have to, in my heart, wish only good for them, Right? For me, sometimes it's, it's, it's different denominations where I, I totally see them just massacring the gospel in certain ways and the way that they preach it, right? And I judge them for it. In order for me to judge as Christ judges, I have to have his goodness, meaning I have to actually wish, wish them well, reconciliation, redemption, revelation. I have to wish these things upon them that I have to be forbearing as God is forbearing, that I need to be holding back and restraining my displeasure if it means that they're going to be redeemed, that just because I'm displeased doesn't mean I need to articulate how displeased I am. Maybe it's just my heart, right? And long-suffering meaning my anger is slow, meaning... It, it, it doesn't take, it, it, it takes, and it should take, sorry, it should take a lot to make me angry. That, that's a, that's a sin that I think some of us struggle with, right? Just being quick to anger, right? Just get angry immediately. Some of you are angry at me now, right? All right, just being quick to anger. Guys, do you understand how much we have wronged God ourselves? You know, have we looked at that lately? Oh, they've wronged me. They've wronged me. You know how like, (laughs) think about this. If any of you are married or have a significant other or, you know, a really good friendship and relationship in your life, think about how tragic and how much of a train wreck that would be if you spoke to them like once a day for like two minutes. You know? They would leave you, you know? They would leave you. Right? If, if if you guys if, if he if he or she was right there and you just didn't speak a word to them like all week, and then maybe on Sunday you kind of paid attention to them, but you were really on your phone the whole time, right? Yeah, we see your phones up here, by the way. So 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 listen, guys. Listen, that would be a crummy relationship, wouldn't it? And that's our relationship with God sometimes, isn't it? How crummy of a relationship, a romantic relationship would that be if we only spent like an hour, maybe once a week with somebody, and we weren't really even paying attention, that's us with God, and yet God still says, I adore you, I'm never leaving you, I want you, I'm going to give you so many things, I'm going to bless you, I want you, I care for you, forgot to say that. Albert Barnes said this, he says that human wickedness is most shown by this fact, that he says this, nor is there a more decisive proof of the wickedness of the human heart than this disposition to abuse the goodness of God and because he shows kindness and forbearance to take occasion to plunge deeper into sin, to forget his mercy and to provoke him to anger. The very proof of human wickedness, guys, is that God is open arms wanting to give us so much grace and yet we're still like plunging deeper into sin and ignoring him. The proof of wickedness isn't in kind of the fall of a nation or or the wickedness of the world, but the very fact that we we see grace and still ignore it. Yet, yet... In second Peter, in Second Peter chapter three, verse nine, it says this The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Meaning, meaning this. God is practicing forbearance, meaning, no matter how much wrath this world deserves, he is like, No, 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 no. I'm holding back. I'm not I'm not gonna hurt them. I want them to come to me. Guys, he's so patient with us. We plunge deeper into sin, running from God. And we have the audacity, the audacity as we run from God to point. Hey, God, look, they're running away faster than me. Right? We have the audacity to run from God and then, hey, you. You. Look at you running from God. As we're running, we're catching up to them. Or maybe we're running away, we're looking back, like, look at you, right? Slowpoke, right? This does not mean, guys, this does not mean, do not get me wrong. This does not mean that we ignore the faults and the shortcomings of our brothers and sisters. No, it doesn't. Because if you love your brother and sister in Christ, you're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they're pursuing God, right? It means that we ought to handle them the same way God does with goodness, forbearance, and patience. Galatians 6, verse 1 through 3, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Isn't this what we've been saying tonight? Isn't this what we've been learning, right? That that we are, if anyone among us is caught in some trespass, we are to help share one another's burdens. We are to come up alongside them as someone who is wounded in battle and to help them press on forward. However, however, it says, Looking to yourself that you are not also tempted. Making sure that you're not the guy with the missing leg trying to help the guy with the missing leg, right? That, that, that you're not trying to mend a broken foot with two broken hands, Right? Looking to yourself to make sure you too are not also tempted. Also making sure that when you're helping people that you do not find yourself in the same sins that you're trying to help them with. Because then nobody's helped, right? It is so easy, guys and 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 this is also once again this is all this is just meant for God to teach me and if you get something out of it great like i feel like i'm learning most out of this where where guys it's really easy for me to mis- mistake judging for helping you guys get that at all right mostly from relatives <laughs> you know, judging and helping, right? People kind of mix that up, like, you know, mixing like a, a passive aggressive comment with, oh, I genuinely love you and want to help you. You know what I mean? Like, you guys ever get that, right? From teachers a lot, <laughs> maybe from your roommate, you know, where, where it's like, okay, are we judging or are we helping? What are we doing? You know, are we judging or are we helping? And I'm serious. It's really hard to walk in that line, isn't it? It's hard to walk in that line between, I don't want to judge them, but then I also know what they're doing is seriously wrong. You guys get that? I think I think that's kind of a struggle with Christians in, in our culture, right? Is that, okay, I really don't want them to feel judged and attacked by me. But I really I really do want them to understand that there's something so much better for them, right? And it's kind of hard to cross that line, right? Because it's all in the interpretation of them, isn't it? You can have genuine intentions, and they're like, you're judging me, right? You're judging me. And so it's kind of hard to cross that line. And, and I think Paul was addressing in his humorous way that exact problem in Romans 2. In verse 17. So go down to verse 17 in your Bibles, or follow along here. It says this. Indeed, you are called a Jew. And the rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And you are confident, listen to this, you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor to the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge of the truth about the law. Right? So so these guys they are convinced, they are convinced that they are a guide to the blind, that they're a light in the dark, right? You might have met these guys, right? They are they are God's gift to humanity, right? Not quite the second coming, but pretty close, yeah. They judged in the same in the name of being a guide to the blind, a light in the dark, a teacher to children. They claimed these things. They claimed good intentions, right? So how can you tell if you were being a hypocrite or if your intentions are pure? How can you tell if you're being a hypocrite or if your intentions are actually pure? Paul then says this in verse 21. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheming blasphemy among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So Paul's kind of just saying, hey guys, like you claim to be like the Jewish moral authority here, but man, you're, you seem to be screwing up in a lot of the ways that you're telling people to correct themselves, right? And, and I think what Paul is saying here, guys, and I have to say think, because I can't, I can't say for exactly, but what I interpret this to be is that Paul is saying, for what it means for us, are you doing your due diligence to assure that you are pursuing God before you tell others how to do so? Does that make sense? You who teach, you who preach, you who judge. I'm not saying it's wrong. But are you doing your due diligence to make sure that you are also pursuing God in like manner, right? We all have, we all have our opinions. We all, we all got that. Right. And you know, uh, one thing I love saying is opinions are like armpits. We all have them. They all stink. Right. And, and and opinions, we all have them. They're all there. Right. But they're all distorted in some sort of way. And so what is saying, before you, kind of, before you project onto others righteousness, have you been pursuing God on the same standards? He says this right here. He says, For circumcision, and don't get hung up on circumcision. We'll, we'll explain that. Some of you are new to the faith, and you're like, okay, circumcision. <laughs> For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. Circumcision was, was kind of, it was the sign of the covenant people, right? A, a Jewish people, right? they would be circumcised to kind of be drafted into the, the family of faith, so to speak. It was a ceremonial thing. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? That's the law of circumcision, I know. Don't freak out. We'll explain it. Circumcision, circumcision, circumcision. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who, even in your written code of circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is he circumcision that is an outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Right. So now we're talking about circumcising the heart. Right. So don't trip out on that either. It says, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. Listen, listen, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is trying, to, and, and I'll just like, just to bring it back into our culture, okay? Let's bring it back into our culture. Let's forget, okay, circumcision, uncircumcision, circum- blah, blah, blah. what about my heart? And What are you going to do to it? All right? It's, 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 so let, let's bring it back into our context. Let's bring it back into our culture. I'll, I'll make a contrast for you. We'll close soon. I'll make a contract, contrast for you. Paul is trying to make a point. Which is better? Listen. Which is better? The man who is not very culturally savvy and he's kind of new to the gospel. He's kind of, he, he's been, he's been kind of strung out on drugs for a really long time and he's trying to get his life back on track. He still stumbles every once in a while, but he really understands like, Oh man, Christ saved me and I'm just, I'm so in love with God, but he's still sinning. He's still kind of, he's trying to work his way, right? He's trying to like understand God. And the only thing he understands is that, man, Jesus is so amazing. I, I'm saved. And so he's left his old life behind him and he's pressing on where he's still a little imperfect and he doesn't really know everything, right? He just knows that he's saved and that he loves Jesus and that he's loved by Jesus. He's a little awkward, right? But he's doing it. Which is better, this man or the student who has known Jesus and the Bible his whole life and is always critiquing everybody? Everybody why their facts are wrong, you should read this article on why preachers are this, right? Oh, look at this guy. I mean, he's he's this and he's that. While well, they go to class and they speak to no one about Jesus. Which is better? This guy who doesn't have it all figured out, really. He's new to this whole thing. He's kind of a little rough around the edges, but he's going for it, Right? Or the student who has been in the church his or her entire life and goes to class every day surrounded by 50 people five times a day and says nothing about the gospel. Which is better? Which is better? So we have to understand this. That God is continually looking at the heart. Because we might criticize, oh, that guy, you know, he's not even theolo- uh, theologically correct. He's just, he's just saying whatever's on his mouth. Do you know what? He's stoked. He loves Jesus. He's stoked on it. Don't judge him for that. That's kind of, that's what Paul is saying. He's like, you guys are judging these Gentiles. They're new, right? And they're trying, they're trying to be righteous, But you, you've had the word of God your entire life. Shouldn't you be judged at a higher standard? Does this make sense? Right? It is not a matter of who is better or who isn't. It's about what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. I'll close here. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, like, listen listen to this, guys. Oh, this is so good. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oh, saying instead of, instead of uh, snipping at one another and judging one another, let's stir one another up to love and good works, right? Let's stir one another up. Instead of saying, instead of inwardly judging, oh, look where they're falling short. Look what they're not doing. Look what they're doing. Instead of doing that in our hearts, maybe maybe, man, Lord, I see where they're stumbling. Help me to help them and help them to help me. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Guys, I am, listen, my friends and my family will tell you this about my life. I am one of the most judgmental people I know. I have insecurity about being right and about being smart. And so as a result, I want to judge people I want to point out their flaws. Maybe some of you are struggling with similar things in your own insecurities. You have demonized people that may look different or may look exactly the same as you. And what what the author of Hebrews is saying, instead, let's not neglect one another. Let's not neglect to meet up with one another, right? So let's make sure to meet together, right? In our small groups, at church, as is the matter of some to just say, whatever, don't need community. He's saying, don't do that. Let's meet together. Let's stir one another up. Let's talk. Let's worship together. Let's read the word together. Let's help each other. Guys, guys, gals. There are quads available for you. Discipleship groups where we do this very thing. Where we stir one another up for love and good works. I know there's institutions at your colleges. Let's join a community of people to help stir one another up. It's not about being right. It's about being a community. It's not about... Us versus them. Together, it's about looking at the cross and saying, man, I'm so messed up. So are you. (laughs) Let's go pursue Christ together, right? Instead of me trying to diminish my own faults by pointing out yours, let's just both admit that we need Jesus and go pursue him together, right? Let's team up in our pursuit of Christ who has saved us and given us confidence to approach God. And so I'm going to Dane and Chris come back up and they're going to lead worship. We're going to take communion. And guys, I just want to encourage you. Some of you have been harboring bitterness in your heart. You've been harboring judgment in your heart. You're mad at people because they've wronged you or because whatever they've done. Guys, so am I, right? I feel that. I feel it deeply. I feel entitled to some people, right? I feel very entitled to this type of stuff. I want to encourage you guys. Love one another. Stir up one another for good works. And as we worship, if you feel the need, pray for the person next to you. If, if you are harboring bitterness in your hearts towards someone who isn't here during worship, pray for them. Pray for them. If there's a certain people group that you've just really gotten used to judging harshly, want need to pray for them. want need to pray for them. And as we take communion, I, I want us to be reminded of something. That Christ died for you and for them right? That, that, that the body was broken, right? The body was broken for you and for them, right? For you and for the person who wronged you. The blood was spilled in a representation with, with the drink here. When when we're taking, oh, the blood of Christ, we're remembering the blood that was shed. Listen, it was shed for you and it was shed for your enemy, for us all right and by partaking in it we become unified together no matter our disagreements or denominational differences one thing we have in common is that we are imperfect we are sinners and we are in need of christ's redemption in our lives amen amen so let's worship and let's let's pray and let's take communion um, all for the sake of being restored being restored to the heart of christ so bow your heads up with me Bow your heads with me. As everyone's heads are bowed, I I just just want us to be still before the Lord. We're going to be still before the Lord for just like 30 seconds, guys. And as we're still before the Lord, we're going to think of those people in our lives that we've been judging, that we have been unrightfully accusing, and we're going to pray for them. So just a quick moment of silence before we close in prayer. Father, we uh, we lift up all of our burdens to you. Some of us, uh, I'm just getting a sense, Lord, that some of us are very angry and judgmental towards people because uh, they have been hurt deeply by people. And Lord, I, I, I pray that underneath your glory and with your loving touch, that you would show him or her, Lord, that they are profoundly loved by you. they are cared for by you that all the words that they have told lord all of the angry and bitter and and mean things that people have said to them god it doesn't come close to the weight of what you've declared about them god that they're loved they're redeemed they're sought after by the god of the universe so lord i just pray that your identity would be uh pressed upon my brothers and sisters here tonight. And as we worship, we would pursue you with hearts that are willing to be corrected and hearts that are willing to stir up one another to good works. We worship you tonight, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.